Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Story time. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It was a chilly morning as my dad and I 
set out for our elk hunting expedition in the rugged wilderness of northern New Mexico. The forest was dense and overgrown, with old logging trails winding through the trees. We were in the middle of the day, still hunting with our eyes peeled for any signs of elusive prey. As I walked along the trail, I caught a glimpse of something unusual through a small window in the trees and brush. About 100 yards away, there it was, a blue day pack, like one of those Jansport backpacks, lying on a fallen tree. The sight was perplexing, as it could only be seen from the exact spot I happened to be standing. I motioned my dad over to confirm what I was seeing. To ensure I wasn't just imagining things, I quickly marked the spot where I saw the pack with two cross sticks and a branch pointing towards it. My dad arrived at my side and squinted through the foliage, verifying the mysterious blue pack's presence. Curiosity got the better of us, and we decided to investigate further. My dad would make his way over to the fallen tree while I stayed put, ready to guide him if needed. He navigated through the thick brush and deadfall, carefully making his way to the location I had marked. As he reached the spot where the day pack should have been, he found nothing. The pack had vanished into thin air. But, something weird happened. Behind him, there was a creature. It was over eight foot tall, brown hairy and muscular. I'm skeptic when it comes to Sasquatch existence, but this one was real. Perplexed, I gestured towards him and yelled. Behind you. He didn't hurt me. Scared, I ran towards him, but when I arrived it vanished. My dad asked me what happened. Why am I scared? And I wanted to tell him, but of fear that he'd not believe me. I kept silent. Hi. So this happened last year but I didn't have read it at the time so I figured I'd share it now. I'm confident it was a Bigfoot, but I could be wrong. So I live surrounded by the woods. We only have a few neighbors here and there. Me, my cousin, and my nephew were outside and then they went in so I was outside alone. I was releasing a snail we found. I released the snail then heard my dog barking so I looked up. There it was. By our tree line, stood a figure. I don't know exactly how tall it was but I'd say if not six feet, almost six feet tall. It didn't really have the shape of a human. We have hardly any bears in my area, and if it was possibly a bear, our dogs would be going crazy barking, but with this, they ran from whatever it was. I looked away looked back, and the figure was gone. I quickly went inside cause I was freaked out. Also a bit excited cause I've always loved cryptids and Bigfoot, so the fact that I possibly saw one made me excited. But that night, my brother and his two friends decided to play hide and seek in the woods. It was at around 1am. I know, it's weird to be playing hide and seek that late, especially in the woods, but they did it anyway. Anyways, the next morning they said they swore they saw a figure run past them in the woods. Could it be Bigfoot? I live with my family. But our house is in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by woods. During hot summer nights we sleep with the windows open, just the bug screen between us and the great outdoors. Deer and elk sometimes bed down right outside the bedroom window because predators will not come that close to the house. We are used to hearing elk snores yes, 
they do snore, and deer wheezes in the middle of the night. This one dark summer night though, we were woken up by something that sounded like a gibbering, demented child. It paced around the house, and we could hear the dry grass crunching right outside the window. The thing moved on after a while, but the weird, semi-human noises it made were unsettling to say the least. I saw a thunderbird when I was a kid. So, I spent a lot of time stargazing as a kid, one summer, my stepdad bought me a really nice telescope with a camera objective to look at the moon and stars with. One night we went out to the hydroelectric dam 40 miles from the nearest town to get some telescopic pictures of the Milky Way. The moon was out in about half illumination without a cloud in the night sky. We were out there until 1am and we were packing up the telescope and other gear when something with a simply enormous wingspan sped silently over our heads very quickly. It was pitch black, with yellow wings and cast a shadow on the ground from the moonlight. It was gone in almost an instant. We looked at each other and both exclaimed in harmony what in the F was that? I have never heard of any kind of aircraft with a wingspan that large or even one that could move in such complete silence. Even gliders make some kind of wind noise. We were far enough away from any airport or military base for anything to be flying that low. It was like something not of this world. It creeps me out to this day, some 20 years later. I can tell you from memory, it was roughly midnight 1 in the morning. I was right around the area near Lolo Pass. It was my first time working in this particular district, so it made me very nervous knowing about all the recorded sightings and weird experiences everyone had been having before. It's pretty isolated out here, so even if something strange doesn't happen, you're definitely inclined to hear or feel something. So you can't even get cell service there, you feel very secluded. If anything happens to your vehicle or yourself fall out on patrol, this is a place where Bigfoot has been sighted too many times, but to not give it the respect it deserves from a safety standpoint. So anyway, I had already radioed back to dispatch at HQ earlier that evening, saying I was going to be checking up on some pull-offs between mile marker 44 and 42 right along Highway 12. Quite a few people have seen Bigfoot in this area. It's pretty much just bushy and a lot of thicket on both sides of the highway. It also definitely gets very, very dark out here at night. So there I am, driving down the road and minding my own business, and my radio starts to have issues. I heard voices, but they were garbled and breaking up. There was nobody else out on patrol with me, though, so I thought maybe other rangers were trying to talk to me, but then I realized they aren't saying anything. It's just static noise coming through that kind of sounded like words. Then all of a sudden, this piercing noise comes out over the normal background, and I blacked out for what felt like seconds but was probably more like a minute. Somehow I didn't crash the truck. I remember how it felt like that I was stuck in time and could see myself sitting in the car driving, but it's like I was looking at everything through a foggy lens. I quickly snapped back into reality. It felt very disorientating, almost dreamlike, and then when I came to my senses, I realized that all this had happened while my patrol vehicle was still moving up the road. 
I tried to contact HQ again, but the garbled noise stopped for good after that moment, and my radio went back to normal, so did my headlights. Everything was fine again. There were no signs of any deer on the roads or anything around here where you would normally expect them to be. This area is heavily populated in deer, and they're always out at night, so did not see any. Very strange that made me confused and, in turn, got paranoid. I just wanted out of here ASAP, so I try not to spend too much time investigating. The next day when I was filling out my reports in dispatch, one of the other rangers who had already worked in that district for a long time told me about this phenomena he called radio fade, he said it happens all the time when you're out there, in what he called ghost territory, which is basically anywhere there's been Bigfoot sightings or activity before. He says the electricity in the air is just different. Your radio starts acting weird and goes black for periods of time. You also feel like you'll black out too. He's had times where he's gone out there, and his blood sugar has randomly spiked, he's fallen unconscious or feels like his nerves and feet and hands are on fire. Strange stuff, really strange. You're alone, and you probably won't notice it, even though it sounds like someone or something is trying to talk to you through the static noise. It's really just interference that mimics voices. If you're with somebody else, though, they might not notice it as much as you because it feels like time goes by differently when this happens, and you aren't sure how long the blackouts will last for. All the sensations are very bizarre, not to mention something I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. Well, the day after this was pretty uneventful, nothing had happened. But I've heard multiple accounts of other rangers, too, having very strange experiences out there in that same spot between mile marker 42 and 44. Even other people who do search and rescue when they have to be in that area and radio in, they also have reported strange radio chatter and blacking out. The only logical explanation that I could possibly come up with for such a phenomenon would be a magnetic field disruption or some other natural effect. That's the only thing because there's nothing else that's going to interfere with the frequency of our brains and bodies or just the energy around us other than a magnetic field interruption. I don't know if that's synonymous with Bigfoot activity, but there's definitely something going on. Unfortunately, there's no way to prove something like this one way or the other. It's very odd, though, and makes me think twice before I go out on patrol alone after sundown. I'm not sure what really happens to people who get blacked out by whatever that noise was. I think the best way to describe it is like being caught in a time warp or something, but I could be wrong. Overall, I have not had any other experiences like that night out near the mountain. Certainly nothing as terrifying as what happened there the year before I started working. Let me get into that. So I was just finishing up my last week of training in another district when this guy came into our office looking for advice. He and his friends were planning on hiking up a timberline link, which is already known for having Bigfoot activity, but they said their main reason for wanting to go there was somebody had posted weird photos of sticks arranged in strange patterns, inciting that there was Bigfoot evidence. They asked if anything strange like that has happened in the area. And I knew from past reports that rangers always talked about weird things being found up there, so I just told them to be careful if they did decide to go. Although it wasn't until a week later when my training was finally over, I began working at Timberline where I heard what had happened to them.
They left the trailhead one night after it got dark. They thought going early would let them beat all the snow and were getting but only made it a mile or two before turning back around because of how difficult it was trying to navigate across fresh snowdrifts, especially that high up the mountainside. The next morning, a ranger out on patrol noticed something strange ahead of him down below all while he was driving up the access road. When his truck got closer, he saw that there were footprints. It was a giant barefoot, but it didn't look like a bear or anything else native to the area due to how large, deep, and far apart the tracks were spaced. It looked more like somebody wearing boots with about an extra two feet of depth across each step from what you would expect from someone's actual foot size. Plus, there were only three toes on each side, which is very unusual for any living creature or anywhere else, mind you most have paws and several toes. Anyway, the ranger carefully followed the prints all the way to the near Timberline Lake, where they just stopped out of nowhere as if somebody had just taken flight. The ranger tried to follow the tracks back, but it was impossible because they had already been covered with snow at that point. So he called in help from other civil rangers, trying to get clues on the types of footprints that were there. They walked around Timberline Lake for hours, looking everywhere, but could not find anything until they checked down at the water's edge near one of the wooden boat docks, and they were more along the embankment, and they stopped abruptly again. This is where they found very weird stick formations, like the same kind you would see in movies like The Blair Witch Project, but on a much larger scale. They just kind of appeared out of nowhere and were very, very creepy. After this, the other rangers and I spent a lot of time walking around this area but we never found anything else. We could not figure out why somebody would have been wearing boots so big for hiking up the mountain during winter time, although they looked more like human tracks or whether they could have possibly come from or gone without leaving any more tracks wherever they disappeared towards. Nothing made sense. It was also weird because there were no other prints leading up to those ones from anywhere near the trailhead which meant whoever made those had walked all the way up from somewhere down below on flat ground where there should have been plenty of other footprints instead. It's still a big mystery as far as I know unless it might be one of the other rangers or park service or another law enforcement group who has been trying to mess with us, but that's very unlikely. The other weird thing is whoever was walking around leaving those tracks would have to have been considerable weight considering the indent in the snow. And then, of course, there was a report from a young woman whose son refused to go into a certain part of the state forest. He was so scared by what he saw in there, and she said his story kept changing whenever she asked him what made him afraid in the first place. He claimed he saw something big walking around, staring at him, but it wasn't a person like a man or a bear. But claimed it was walking on two legs, did not look like any type of animal he had ever seen before. Sometimes he kept saying that whatever it was had very long arms and legs but virtually no neck. And his parents even took him to see the local doctor who kind of did an exam on him but found nothing wrong. Look, I'm not really sure what to make of all this either, but as you've seen, things get pretty crazy out here on the job. And I myself am still very unsure of what to believe and what not to believe. Everything seems so surreal, and to be honest, Truth is stranger than fiction. I am Jack River, 
an elite member of a special forces team, trained for the most challenging and dangerous missions. One day, my team and I find ourselves in Kosovo, on a mission to prevent the illegal sale of uranium to Iran. As we made our way towards the secret enemy facility, our hearts raced with the gravity of the task ahead. As we approached the facility, we come across a small village that seemed eerily deserted. The air was heavy with an unsettling silence. Our instincts told us to proceed with caution, and as we draw nearer, a horrifying sight awaited us. The ground was littered with the remains of at least a hundred people, victims of an unfathomable massacre. Yet, something was peculiar about their wounds. They appeared as if some wild animal had attacked them, leaving gruesome and savage marks. We began inspecting the bodies, trying to make sense of the horror that unfolded in this forsaken place. And then, out of nowhere, we spotted. A creature like none we have ever encountered before, materializes from the side of the hill. Its huge form seems insubstantial, as if it were a ghost. We can see the grass beneath its body, and it moves with an otherworldly grace, leaving no trace on the ground. The creature is covered in longish, charcoal-colored hair, giving it an eerie and ominous appearance. Its eyes are two long slits that emit a haunting bright red glow. Instead of a typical nose, there are two holes, and its thick lips curl back to reveal sharp, menacing teeth. Standing at a staggering height of over ten feet on its two legs, it exudes an aura of primal power and ancient terror. Frozen and bewildered, we stand in awe and confusion, trying to comprehend the existence of this creature. But before we can react, it lunges at us with surprising speed and ferocity. A fierce battle ensues as we fight for our lives against this seemingly supernatural foe. With our automatic rifles, we unleash a hail of bullets, determined to bring down this mysterious and deadly adversary. After a grueling and desperate struggle, we managed to bring the creature down. But we had little time to inspect its lifeless form, for the sound of our battle has alerted the local militia. With no choice but to abort our investigation, we called our base for immediate extraction. As we are airlifted to safety, we tried to comprehend what we have just witnessed. It is a sight and experience that challenges everything we thought we knew about the world. In disbelief, we recounted the events to our superiors, struggling to find explanations for the horrors we encountered. From that moment on, we carry with us the haunting memories of that fateful day in Kosovo, where our mission to prevent the illegal sale of uranium was overshadowed by a chilling encounter with a creature beyond our understanding. I worked as a microwave field surveyor. Basically, we made sure there were no obstructions, large buildings, trees, smokestacks, that could block the signal transmitted between towers. I typically worked three weeks on, one week off. On this particular month, I had been sent to Pennsylvania. Most of Pennsylvania is great, but every state has its creepy, low population areas. I was assigned to survey a 35-mile path between towers and the state game lands, large protected areas. The key to surveying a microwave path, is finding the critical points where the signal comes the closest to the ground, usually a mountaintop or hill. In a city, this is fairly simple, 
you can just drive a few blocks and take measurements. However, the remoteness of the towers made access difficult, and the roads I tried to use were sometimes rutted trails at best. The GPS program Delorme kept sending me down dead ends, or onto trails called abandoned road or old mine shaft. This was actually pretty funny at first. At about 7.30 PM, I was getting nervous. It was getting dark, and I hadn't seen another car, or even a parked hunter's truck in 5 to 6 hours. My GPS was spotty, and I wasn't sure if I could honestly remember the way out, at least not before total dark. I found the widest trail I could and began to work my way south, hoping to hit a major road. I was forced to double back northeast by another down tree on the path. It was very dimly lit outside, and with so many turnoffs, I can't be sure I took the same way back. That's when I came across the little village. Eight small cottages. They looked like remants of someone's camp from the 50s 60s. Two burned almost to nothing, the rest with the doors swinging in the wind. No one around, no tracks. Nothing. I feel a little silly writing this. I know that I was just tired and hungry at the end of a long, isolated day. But it felt like something was watching me from inside those little cottages. My X-Files or Hills Have Eyes sense was tingling, so I got back in the truck, and roared out of there as quick as I could. Our company finished the project, and I haven't been back since. So, these events happened when I was in the military. The events in 1979 were so bizarre and so chilling to the men involved that nobody has discussed them publicly, at least not yet. I have been asked not to discuss them. This is the only place where I can tell my story, so here it is. I served in the US Army from 1978 to 1986. During that time, I was stationed at the Tesla Air Base in Tesla, Bosnia, formerly part of Yugoslavia, with the 10th Infantry Division. I was a chemical decontamination specialist, which meant I would go out on patrol with the line companies and decontaminate the soldiers and their equipment after they were exposed to chemical warfare agents. I was trained to do this using the M258A1 Deacon kit, which I carried on my back. It weighed roughly 150 pounds, this thing wasn't small or light to carry, it was a workout. In 1979, our platoon sergeant called us all together and said we were going to participate in a special mission. We were excited, as anything that breaks up the day-to-day -day monotony of guard duty and drills is welcome to soldiers regardless of their rank and position. We were already a pretty tight unit, so we were happy to do whatever we needed to for our fellow soldiers. The platoon sergeant pulled out a map and showed us where we were going, the island of this, a small Croatian island in the Adriatic Sea. We were informed that our mission was to conduct reconnaissance on this and that we would be inserted via helicopter to scout the island and make contact with whatever forces were already there. We were told that we would be inserted on the south side of the island and be picked up on the north side. That night we boarded the chopper and flew to this. We were inserted on the south side of the island near a small fishing village which was mostly abandoned at this time due to military presence. There were some inhabited houses and a small church with a cemetery adjacent to it. I'm not sure what that church is, but I do remember a large cross atop its steeple. 
The pilots said the locals would not approach the island, at least this section, rumored to be cursed, although I don't believe that. We walked about a mile to an area where we could dig in and set up observation posts, otherwise known as OPs. We dug shallow fighting positions and set up a central OP on a small hill overlooking the town. My friend, who was a specialist for in my unit, and I decided to set up our OP on top of a large rock overlooking the area. We were able to construct an A-frame out of some smaller limbs and camouflage netting. This way, we would have some protection from being observed. My friend said he had a bad feeling about this mission, but I laughed it off. I knew he was a little off, but not many soldiers are comfortable with being shot at, so I thought this apprehension was due to the amount of lead in the air when we were fleeing from Kuwait. We set up our OP, camouflaged it, and laid out our MOPP gear in case we needed to go chemical anytime soon. We had our gas masks, chemical protective suits, MOPP suits, rubber boots, chemical gloves, and of course, our M258A1 Deacon kits. We watched the town through our scopes for about an hour, and we began noticing what we thought were Yugoslavian soldiers moving around. They were dressed in uniforms similar to that of the Soviet era, but it was different, they even had the red stars and caps. They were at the far end of the village nearest to us when, without warning, they began running towards our OP. I grabbed my M16 and told my friend that we are going chemical. I grabbed my mask, and there was a bright flash of light. When I could see again, the soldiers were gone. My friend and I looked at each other and realized we both experienced the same thing. We decided to go check it out, there was no sound, nothing. As I looked at the trees under which the soldiers had been, I noticed that there was a light shimmer in the air where they just passed, kind of like a mirage, like the air or time was moving. It looked very strange. My friend and I were about 75 yards away now from our own OP, and we saw something moving against the rock face. We froze and stared at it for a little bit until we realized it was some sort of lizard. The thing was black, about 5 feet tall, with a tail that was closer to that of a crocodile. It had a very large head and was holding its body close to the rocks as it moved slowly. It was in a crouching position, and you could tell this was a bipedal being. It seemed to be looking for something, but I have no idea what. We continued back towards the OP, and we heard a sound we could not describe but can only be said to have sounded like several people screaming all at once. It lasted for just a few seconds, and then there was silence. We approached our OP, but it was completely empty, we had left our rifles behind in the A-frame when we went to inspect the soldiers. We moved back to where it was, and when we got there, all that remained were our helmets which had fallen over on their sides with the chin strap still buckled. We didn't think this was possible, we had secured our helmets to the A-frame because we know the enemy enjoyed booby-trapping our equipment. My friend and I went back to our OP, we searched for what was left for about 30 minutes. As soon as we reached the edge of the vegetation, it seemed to me that something was out there in front of us. As we walked closer, I realized that there was a group of bipedal creatures, roughly about the size of humans, standing just outside the vegetation line. They all appeared to be wearing some sort of suit covering their bodies. There were roughly nine of them, 
all standing together in a group. They were acting in a very strange manner, seemingly looking back and forth between my friend and me, with their heads moving almost like that of a bird, very cockeyed, as if they were viewing something from far away. My friend and I kept looking at each other, wondering what to do next. We began to slowly back away, but before we could take any more than a couple of steps backward, they walked in our direction, and they were moving fast. It was clear they were agitated in their motion, and just as they were getting closer, another flash of light that blinded me once again. They were gone. At this point, we retreated back towards camp, waiting for the sun to completely come up. After we had made our way down the hill and back, before very long, we noticed there was smoke coming from the distance. We decided to change our course to see if somebody needed help. As we began to move closer, I realized these were two separate fires. We stood and watched them for a while. After about 10 minutes, we saw movement, there was a light shining down where the flames were, and what looked to be the same creatures that we had seen before. They seemed to be directing the fire somehow. I thought that it might have been the same group, but my friend pointed out that they all had different colored suits on. He said that some had red, others had blue, and there was even one that had green. We stood and watched them, and we realized they were not alone. There was another group of them moving around in the vegetation, but they looked like humans wearing bright green camouflage. This group eventually moved into the light of the fire, and we could see they were carrying weapons. But one of the human-looking ones walked up to a tree and kind of did something with his hands. The tree lit up and began shooting out a beam of light from its trunk. The creature slowly stepped back from it all, except one, and engulfed in this beam of light. We realized this was some kind of teleportation or doorway. So we very quietly backed away and ran back to our platoon, reporting what we had seen. I want to emphasize that the following is purely speculation, but after doing some research, I have come up with what I believe are some very valid possibilities. The first set of soldiers we saw were actually these reptilian beings but disguised as humans in some sort of cloaking form. Let me share with you some information I've gathered. There are three main races of grey aliens known to abduct humans or perform experiments on them. One of them is known as the Zeta Reticuli, discovered in the 1950s by an amateur astronomer. The other two are reptilian, also humanoid and insectoids. There are often races referred to as Nordics and Greys. Nordics are usually described as being humanoid in appearance with pale white skin and blonde hair. Insectoids can be the average human being's height, if not more, and are primarily humanoid insectoid beings. The most common are mantids humanoids. The fire they were controlling looked like some sort of portal when the beam shot out. It was like a teleportation device. I believe that these beings could be experimenting on humans in order to try and create an army to use against us. Maybe they are trying to use the humans in some sort of fighting force. I don't know. It is possible that this might be some sort of retaliation for the Vietnam War. The person who I was with during this, who was also my co-witness, passed away from cancer many years ago. I lived in a rural area when I was around 12 years old, our neighbors were like 5 minutes driving away. 
and behind our five acres of land was all crown land, not owned by anyone, as far as I know this land went on for miles. I loved going for long hikes, sometimes I'd go out with the family and we'd be gone for good four or five hour walks deep into the forest. I went with my younger sister eight and her friend one day in the fall. About three half hour into the walk we get a little turned around, found a new trail and don't recognize any of our usual trees. Sun's still up for a while so we keep going. Suddenly we hear a four-wheeler. But it's getting closer. We encounter an older man, with two axes on his four-wheeler and a vicious dog. He was very rude, and suspicious of us being there, told us we were on Priav property and had to leave now, he was- Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential however could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Almost yelling and clutching an axe the whole time. We agreed and apologized and left. We heard him drive off the other way. We decide to run because he was creepy and we were hours away with no adults or ways to contact anyone. We take an alternative route to cut time down. So we're no longer on that path. Shortly after we hear the four-wheeler close again, we freeze atop a little hill or mound and listen. Four-wheeler guy comes into Veyu on the trail we were on. He drives down a ways and truns around a few times. I know he was looking for us. When Hess finally far enough away we book it. Made it back in about two hours. Terrified. Checked with mom or dad and no one owns land back there. He wasn't any of our five neighbors. We weren't allowed to go for hikes alone anymore and my sister's friend was afraid of the woods after that. Realistically he was just some pot owner guarding his crop, which is equally as scary, because where I lived if you stumbled on a crop, People shot first and asked questions later. Camping in the Sierra Nevadas a few weeks back when that wildfire was going on up at Wishon. Wake up at 2 am for no reason, lay my head back down and close my eyes until I hear blood-curdling screams echoing through the hills. I'm talking like the kind of sound that you never want to hear come from a human, kinda high-pitched and lots of fluctuation in it, like how your own voice cracks when you're yelling as loud and as hard as you can. This went on for like a minute and a half, two minutes, somewhere in there. So at the time I'm thinking that I'm hearing someone being attacked by a bear or something but I was probably just hyping myself up over what was more than likely a fox or a big cat. But still, that was creepy as hell. Oh yeah and that same night before going to bed I heard twigs being stepped on just outside of our campsite, maybe 20 yards out in the woods. I kept listening and when it didn't stop I grabbed a flashlight and waved it through the trees and I could have sworn that I saw something duck behind a tree. But I'm willing to admit that this was more than likely my mind playing tricks on me. I was about 10 to 12 when it happened, can't remember exactly. I was coming home from school, and as I entered my building, 
An unfamiliar man in a black jacket followed me inside and started walking up the stairs behind me. I wasn't spooked out because I had lots of neighbors and often saw people I didn't know. The thing was, I live in a flat that is in the very top part of the building, and no one else lives on that level. So when the man didn't stop by the last flat below mine, I was immediately alarmed. But, being a 10 or 12 year old, I didn't do or say anything and just kept nearing my flat, hoping that maybe he was an acquaintance of my parents. I don't recall exactly how I felt, but I know I was not nearly as terrified as I should have been. He was on the landing when I reached the door. I rang the bell, and my sister opened. The moment the man saw that there was someone inside, he turned around without a word and started walking downstairs. Relieved as hell, I hurried inside. My sister, 15 to 17 at the time, noticed the man and asked who that was, and I just mumbled I didn't know. We never talked about it again and didn't even tell our parents. It was only some time later that I realized just how badly it could have ended if the flat had been empty. This happened back in 2011 to my dad. His job involves a lot of travel, so he's almost always driving alone from sunrise to early dawn, depending on the time zone. When he stops at a restaurant, around 8 in the evening, he frequents, he places his things on a table and proceeds to the toilet. By the time he gets back to his table, he notices two servings of complimentary soup. He questions the staff why they place two bowls of soup when he's the only traveling. The staff puzzlingly replies that when my dad went to the toilet, a long-haired lady dressed in white exited the car and proceeded to the toilet as well. He just brushes it off, finishes his meal and then continues with his travels, but not before one of the staff cautions him to be careful. While driving, a suddenly downpour obscures his vision and just when he was about to make a curve one of his front tires breaks off. Thankfully he managed to control the car and manages to stop the vehicle which was inches away from falling into a deep ravine. So it's 2 AM, dark, and raining really hard. He grabs a flashlight searches for his tire, does some makeshift repairs and hobbles the car to the nearest town for repairs. I don't know if the two events were related. When my dad told me about what happened I immediate thought that he might have encountered a banshee, a spirit that heralds death. But it's a big world out there, who knows. When my wife and I were still dating we took a road trip to the Ho Rain Forest and Olympic National Park in Washington State. We got there late in the day as the sun was setting and we were turned back because the campground was full. Since we didn't want to drive forever just to sleep in a motel, we drove back down the entrance road for a bit until we found a fire road and took that into the forest just outside the campgrounds. We drove down it for a few minutes until we came to a small clearing in the forest and set up camp, illegally I'm sure in retrospect. If you've never been there, it looks like this there. About a half an hour later another car did the same thing and pulled into our clearing, but since we were already camped there they moved farther down the road. This happened a couple more times during the night and people either moved farther down the road or turned around to leave. About 3 in the morning, 
I hear my wife scratching on the tent wall just above our heads and I figure that she's trying to close the screen or something and I go back to sleep. A little while later I hear her doing it again, so I look over at her, and her arms are in her sleeping bag, and in the almost pitch black lighting I can see that her eyes are wide open and she's listening to the scratching sounds coming from outside. Very quietly I roll over and lift my head up so I can hear the sound with both ears. I'm thinking it's a branch or something scraping the side of our tent, but we're in the middle of the small clearing with no trees, bushes, etc. Right by our tent. I hear it again coming from right in front of my face, and all the hair stands up on the back of my neck. It's definitely scratching coming from outside the tent, and the scratching noise is spread out over a typical adult hand span on the back of the tent like someone scratching with all their fingernails. I say loudly something like, I hear you out there. I'm armed. A lie. The noise goes quiet, but I don't hear anyone or anything move away from the tent. Gathering my courage I open the window flap zipper and shine my flashlight out into the gloom. Nothing is there. I look in front of the tent, and stick my head out the door and look around. Nothing. So, after a few more minutes we are able to start falling back asleep only to hear the scratching again right by our heads. I quickly unzip the window flap again and shoot my flashlight out. Nothing. Except, I hear the scratching again from just below the window like someone is laying down right next to the back of the tent, so I shine my flashlight down and see the largest spider I've ever seen trying to climb up the slippery walls of the tent. Its legs are spread out farther than I can spread my fingers. So, I smack the back of the tent with my flashlight, the spider goes flying off into the night, and my girlfriend and I have a good laugh about it. It was a Saturday morning when we had gone hunting for Bigfoot. The sky was overcast and gray, matching my mood perfectly until we pulled over on the side of the old highway. The moment I popped the trunk and slid my hand over the wooden stock of my grandfather's rifle though, my focus returned. I cocked the gun in sync with the spark of rage that flared within the depths of my belly. I looked to my brother Darren, who had also taken his weapon in hand, though with noticeably lesser intent. Come on, Darren, enough sulking. You know what we need to do. Yeah, yeah, I know. He slammed the trunk shut and slung his bag over his right shoulder, keeping the rifle in both of his hands as he trudged past me towards the woods. Let's just get this over with. His exasperation was on full display. It sickened me. I simply followed along, having nothing left to say. Our boots squished into the softened surface of the forest floor, following the ATV trail deeper into the wild. The smell of wet grass and rotting logs was overwhelming, only to become sickening once it meshed with the stink of the swamp. But the smell would not deter us. We followed the swamp's edge, keeping the water to our right. Our eyes, however, were constantly surveying the area, searching for any signs of the ancient ape. Or perhaps signs of its victims. There wouldn't be anything left of dad, we'd already been out here countless times before, ever since the creature had taken him. Darren still refused to believe his brother, let alone his own eyes, but I knew what we had seen that day. A dad taking his two preteen sons on a fishing trip, having great fun in the sun. 
It was the first time I had ever actually caught anything, which was still better than how Darren was doing. At one point, my kid brother started crying after one fish broke his line, and dad had to console him. And as he did that, the shadow came. I watched it approach from its cover amongst the tree line, slow but steadily. When I pointed it out to him, dad took a quick look before telling us to start walking away from the bear, backwards with care. We all had our eyes on the shadow, so we all were able to see when it dropped to all fours and began sprinting for us. Dad told us to run back to the car as he pulled out his pocket knife, trying to stand as tall and wide as he could to scare it off. Darren was crying in fear, so I had to pull him away, but that didn't stop me from watching. Soon enough, the beast was in front of my father, and back standing on two legs. And it sure as hell wasn't a bear. If anything, it was a roided out gorilla that hadn't skipped leg day. It blotted out the sun with its stature, looming several feet over our dad. Darren and I had gotten to a safe distance where the beast didn't see us, but I could sure see them. I wanted to cry for dad to run, to scream at him to get out of there. But my throat closed up, choked by fear as I watched him stumble back. The knife dropped out of his hand, and the monster roared in his face, revealing a set of flesh-ripping fangs. After that, my eyes were transfixed on the monster beating my father into a bloodied pulp, unable to avert my own gaze. It swung his body around wildly, slamming my father against tree and rock and ground alike. I would have assumed that the thing was using my dad as a plaything, if it had not been for the pure feeling of rage that it exuded, even to us up on the hill. My throat finally began to muster some small short cries as I witnessed the beast dragging the corpse back to whatever hellhole it called its home. I distinctly remember the size of its hand, almost large enough to wrap around the entire length of my father's lower leg. The only leg that was left, anyways. A good while after they had disappeared, I led Darren back to the car, and with snot and tears dribbling over the screen, I called mom. I was finally able to utter something that resembled a word, H help. The police found the leg that the beast tore off a few days later, floating in the swamp. And the footprints fit the proportions too, but the police ruled that we had just seen a bear attack, and that the footprint size was due to the bear's paws spreading out in the mud. I didn't buy it. I never would, and now, as a grown man, I return to these woods every weekend to get revenge. Looking down at the ground, I stopped dead in my tracks. Darren. Over here. My younger brother came sprinting back to me as I grinned and pointed, the same enormous footprints we'd only seen on a few occasions. What did I tell you? Jacob, they're the same prints from before. We've been over this, those are don't. Don't say it again, I growled. Darren was far more willing to just conform to whatever the nice police officers told him because it was easier to listen. It was easier to just pretend that what happened was something normal, and not our father being murdered by a Sasquatch. Do you see the pattern of the pads? This is not a bear's foot, and it ain't one of our boots. That there, that's the footprint of our Bigfoot. Darren just sighed and stood up. Come on, let's just lay the traps already. And you're on the first watch, it's way too early for me to deal with your crazy mess. Grumbling, I pulled my pack off and ruffled through its contents until I found the jaws. 
In one swift but heavy motion, I tossed my bag over towards my brother, which contained our leg traps. He cried out as the steel slammed against his shin. Ow! What is wrong with you? Darren always was an infant. Weak. It was for that very reason I dragged him out here each weekend, hoping that seeing the beast and confronting it would toughen him up and finally give us the closure we desperately needed. Hey, you asked for them a rumble sounded through the trees. We both instantly grabbed our rifles and began scanning our surrounding, trying to catch any kind of movement. Plap my guard only began to lower as a raindrop crashed into the right lens of my glasses, warping half of my vision heavily. Just thunder, I murmured, putting my rifle down to clean my glasses. Prep the traps and come back over here quickly. We'll only be out here for a little bit today, I guess. Darren just groaned and snatched up the trap, storming away from me. With my vision fixed, for the moment, I inspected my rifle and began to load it. If we were going to come across Bigfoot today, it'd have to be soon, it wouldn't be caught wandering around in a storm. The creature was smarter than that. I watched as Darren's figure grew hidden amongst the thin trees, wandering along our pre-established boundary to set the traps. Today we were trying cow livers as bait. We had been rotating the meat to see if any of them would have a better chance of attracting it. Darren thought it was just an expensive waste, but after just trying venison for two years straight with no results, something needed to change. By the time Darren was returning to our lookout spot, a thin mist had begun to fill the forest. The cold pierced through my sweater, so I was forced to zip up my puffer coat to keep warm. When he arrived, he tossed my bag back at me and plunked himself down with his back turned to me. I could hear the crinkling of his morning breakfast bar and groaned. You should be ready to kill that thing at any moment, not snacking. You're completely deluded, you know that? I didn't bother responding. Darren's mind was well made up at this point, and no amount of convincing or conversation would change it. Only the stone-cold corpse of the Sasquatch would make him see the truth now. For a moment, I wondered what Sasquatch meat would taste like to myself. The rumblings of thunder grew more consistent, and the mist had thickened as we sat and waited. I was constantly having to wipe my glasses clean to remain vigilant, now blinded from water and fogging alike. After a little while, it was my turn to check on the traps. Brushing off the mud and leaves, I trotted through the brush, checking all the traps' positions. And as usual, Darren had completely mucked up all the placements, the lazy prick. So it was left to me to adjust them, moving them to spots that were slightly more hidden, so it wasn't blatantly obvious to the beast that it was being hunted. Muttering under my breath, I fixed each trap and just moved on, until the fourth trap of five. The cow liver was not there, but the trap had not closed shut. And the mud around the area was stomped and squished in various ways. The tingle of anticipation began to hurry my heartbeat, and I just stared at the device before calling out to Darren. Hey, Darren. You put livers on all the traps, yeah? Uck, yes Jake. I don't need your thunder rolled again, but I had heard enough from my brother to get my answer. I began to make my way back to our outpost, walking backwards at first and surveying my surroundings. Once I was certain no eyes were watching me from beyond my view, I raced back to my brother and slid back beside him. 
Darren began shouting at me and demanding to know what was wrong, but I shushed him quickly. Something took the liver on trap four, I whispered, trying to hide my simultaneous excitement and fear. So? It could have been some hungry bear for all we know, or a coyote, or whatever kind of animal among the hundreds that live in the woods. Darren was expressing annoyance with me, but he too was whispering. He had too, in part, believed that something was out there. I ignored his sentiments and grinned. We gotta set up the tarp. We aren't going anywhere. We always made our site near a trio of young trees, shaped in a triangle, so we could easily create a tarp roof if the weather was not in our favor. And with the way that rain was beginning to cut through the fog, we decided to do just that. Beneath the tarp, we continued our watch as water poured down before our eyes. Darren continued to whine that we should leave before we got struck by lightning, but I refused. The missing meat from the trap was already a sign that we needed to stay. In all of our time out here, only twice before had the meat been taken, and both times the trap had been shut. But we had never caught anything actually stuck in the traps. The beast mocked us, taunting us, wanting us to know that it was not just some random creature of the woods. It was greater than that. Time passed. The sky boomed above us. I gave myself but a moment to imagine that we were soldiers in Vietnam, hunkering down in the rain, but staying awake in case of a sudden enemy attack. I was pulled from the thought by a hand on my shoulder. Whipping my head around, I saw Darren starting to get up. I need to stretch my legs. Gonna go check the traps. He started to leave, but turned back to look at me. We really should get going soon. The weather is awful. I shook my head without a word. Darren opened his mouth to say something else, but gave up and left. Huddling with my rifle, I shivered profusely in my cold, wet clothing. My hand was nearly frozen in place, clasped around the barrel. I could feel my knuckles locking up in their sockets. Crash. The crack of lightning erupted nearby. I witnessed the flash from between the trees. The rain began to fall faster hitting the leafy forest floor like bullets from the heavens. I could feel my senses all beginning to be overwhelmed by the sensations of the wild. A-R-G-H. A scream, I pivoted in its direction and readied my rifle. It sounded like Darren, but I couldn't see him between the rain and my fogged glasses. I wiped them off quickly, then looked again. There. It was still blurry, but there was no denying it. A large black figure raising its hands above its head and slamming down into the ground. Attacking my poor brother, who was likely being beaten on the ground by it, out of my sight. I was not going to let Bigfoot take another member of my family. The rage was ignited. I ripped a bullet off my belt and slammed it into the chamber, then shoved the bolt forward and took my aim. The beast was still slamming at the ground, maybe the trap had caught it in place. There was no time to waste. The crosshairs were aligned with its chest. I pulled the trigger without hesitation. The gunshot echoed through the trees, louder than any thunderbolt had previously. And the bullet was a direct hit. I watched with widened eyes as the Sasquatch fell, clutching its chest before crumbling slowly to the ground. I scrambled to my feet, slipping and tripping in the mud and grass. My fingers screamed out in pain as I pulled myself past multiple trees, hurting from the cold. 
I kept the gun close to my side, in case the job wasn't done yet. But finally, after all these years, I had finally struck back and avenged my father. I had slain Bigfoot. When I reached the spot where the Sasquatch had fallen however, there was no beastly corpse, no massive muddy footprints imprinting its last path. I found only my brother, collapsed face first into the mud, with his blood mixing in to form a foul sludge beneath his body. I hiked very frequently and was on a trail and about 8 miles from the nearest gravel road. It was just me and my dog. Just to note I have hiked these trails frequently and only ever seen other people during mushroom hunting season and only near where the parking patches are and this was in January, freezing cold, no mushrooms. I've been going at it for almost 2 hours when I stumbled on a pile of bones. Large bones. Bigger than human, maybe a cow maybe buffalo, maybe horse. They were completely clean and sun-bleached, no flesh no fur, I find deer remains all the time always have fur on the legs. This means someone or something cleaned them or they are old bones. The scary part is they were neatly arranged into a pyramid shape all leaning on each other like a teepee. I was just on this trail the week before and there had been no bones. There had also not been a giant dead animal and there wouldn't have been any rotting happening because it was 20f. I stared at them for a while then turn around and spot more peculiarities. The tree behind me had several bones strung up and hung in the tree by the trail marks. They swayed in the wind and kinda clunk gently like a morbid wind chime. So this means it had to have been somebody and not some weird raccoons or something. I start to panic because does this mean somebody is watching me? Am I being warned, or stalked? I always go on a select few trail and this is one of my most frequented and never have I seen someone else out so far. The hairs on my neck stand up because I'm sure I am in the crosshairs of some serial killer who has been stalking me. I walk with headphones and he could have followed me for weeks and I wouldn't have known. My dog freezes and points toward a different large tree 10 yards away. The hair of her scruff raises and she start to growl and creep toward the tree. I'm panicking I have nothing other than my hiking stick. My dog barks once, she's 40 pounds by the way not an attack dog, and starts sprinting toward the tree. I instinctively crouch down. She reaches the tree and a turkey takes off from the other side gobbling as it flies away. I can still feel my pulse in my eyes as I watch it fly away. I sigh, pet my dog and check to make sure I didn't shit myself. I snap a few pics of the weird bone shit and make my way back. Still hike through there, bones still there untouched, I'm not messing with that voodoo. No idea where they came from, probably some old coot trying to scare people. It worked on me. This happened to me about 15 to 16 years ago and scared the shit out of me. I spent 12 weeks alone in northwestern Utah. It was pretty empty. Anyhow, sometime around 3 am in the morning I was suddenly awakened by a very strange sound. It lasted about 10 seconds and it came from maybe 30 feet away. I've been camping a shit ton and have never, ever heard anything like that. It was an animal sound that was a long, low moan that had a decidedly aggressive tint to it. I sat bolt upright instantly and thought, 
that is not a cow, not a horse, not a deer. But maybe a cow? I had no weapons except a massive mag light and before I knew it, I was sprinting barefoot in my underwear for the unlocked truck that was who knows, 50 to 100 feet away. I got in and rolled a window partly down and looked back in the direction of the sound of my tent. Nothing. After waiting for an hour, still nothing. I can't remember if there was a moon that night. Luckily there was a big scratchy wool sweater in the truck to put on. I never heard it again. I wish I had looked for footprints. Maybe 15 years passed and I searched for the sound on YouTube. I was suspicious that it was a mountain lion. Yup. A mountain lion. I always knew that my life would be filled with adventures and mysteries. Ever since I was a kid, I was drawn to the unexplained, the undiscovered. And fate must have agreed, for it brought me together with my best friend, Matthew. We were two peas in a pod, united by our shared love for the unknown and the extraordinary. Luca and Matthew, the dynamic duo of eccentricity. People often raised an eyebrow at our strange interests and our incessant curiosity, but we didn't care. We had a bond that went beyond the ordinary, and nothing was going to stop us from exploring the wonders of the world. Our latest escapade led us to Brazil, a land rich in myths and legends. We had heard tales of a cryptid water creature known as the bipedal octopus, a mysterious being that supposedly inhabited the depths of the ocean. Of course, most people would dismiss it as a mere legend, but not us. We saw it as an invitation to unravel yet another enigma. Arriving in Brazil, we wasted no time. Our enthusiasm was palpable as we rented a small boat to venture into the depths of the ocean. The locals looked at us with bemusement, probably thinking we were just two crazy foreigners chasing myths. Little did they know that we were determined to turn myths into reality. We had all the necessary scuba gear and equipment, ready to plunge into the unknown. As we sailed towards the location of the bipedal octopus sightings, we could hardly contain our excitement. Matthew held up a drawing of the strange creature, and I studied it carefully. The idea of coming face to face with such an extraordinary being sent shivers down my spine. After what felt like an eternity, we reached our destination, a reef hidden beneath the waves. The water glistened with a mesmerizing beauty, but we knew that there was more to this underwater realm than met the eye. We donned our scuba gear and prepared to dive into the mysterious abyss. As we explored the reef, we were captivated by its beauty. Colorful corals and exotic fish surrounded us, but we knew our true purpose lay in finding the inscriptions mentioned in the legends. It didn't take long for our keen eyes to spot something unusual on a rock crevice. Strange etchings adorned the stone, resembling a language that was both foreign and ancient. Could this be the work of the bipedal octopus? It seemed improbable, but then again, everything about this adventure was beyond the realm of normalcy. We excitedly captured images of the inscriptions, believing they held the key to unlocking the creature's existence. Our elation soon turned to shock when a tiger shark suddenly appeared, circling us menacingly. Fear gripped my heart as I realized that we might be in real danger. Matthew and I clung to each other, preparing for the worst. But fate had other plans for us that day. Just as the shark seemed ready to attack, 
an ethereal figure emerged from the depths. It was the water god, as the locals called it. A magnificent being covered in silvery-gray scales with a sleek build and piercing black eyes. It had the torso of a man but was no mere mortal. The water god confronted the tiger shark, and a battle of titans unfolded before our very eyes. The shark was no match for the divine creature, who effortlessly scared it away. We watched in awe as the water god claimed victory and then turned its attention to us. In that moment, I realized that we were not just lucky witnesses to a cryptid encounter, we were in the presence of something truly extraordinary. The water god regarded us with an otherworldly gaze, as if acknowledging our purpose here. And then, as quickly as it appeared, it vanished into the deep blue, leaving us in awe and wonder. We swam back to the surface, our minds racing with the magnitude of what we had just experienced. As we boarded our boat, we knew that our lives had been forever changed by this encounter. Our instincts told us to share our incredible proof with the world, but we hesitated. The scientific community would be clamoring for our photographic evidence, and we would become instant celebrities. But something inside us told us to keep this secret close to our hearts. This was not just a story to be told, it was a journey of personal discovery that deserved to remain sacred. In the hospital, where we were taken after the encounter, reporters and officials bombarded us with questions. They wanted to know every detail, see every image. But we decided to protect the water god's existence and our bond with it. We chose not to show our photographic proof, leaving the world to wonder and speculate. In the end, our decision to keep the story alive was not about fame or recognition. It was about preserving the magic and mystery of the unknown. We had encountered something divine, and we wanted to keep that sacred connection between us and the water god intact. Luca and Matthew, two eccentric friends fascinated by the unknown, embarked on many adventures to solve mysteries. But the greatest mystery of all was the water god that saved our lives. Our bond with it was beyond the ordinary, and that was a secret worth keeping.